You're listening to Grumpire with your hosts, LB and Andrew. Ho, ho, ho! Merry LB! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle, bark, bark, bells, bark. You're bad at improv! <laughs> I'm barking. You're barking improv! <laughs> Welcome, everybody! It's the South Pole of Texas. Where we are. The official South Pole of Texas. Which feels like the North Pole of the world right now. It's very, very cold. And what better time than to chill clothes. Go get yourself a sweatshirt at tpublic.com slash user slash grumpire. They have sweatshirts with some of the art that I've done for grumpire on it. So go get yourself a sweatshirt and sweat during the winter. (laughs) All right. That's it. About that. Hey, Andrew. Yeah. It's Christmas time. In the winter time. Sorry, that's a reference to a commercial in Southern California. You can see Santa in the summertime is what it was. Uh-huh. And then whenever winter came around, it was like, you can visit Santa in the wintertime. And I was like, no duh. <laughs> when else do you see Santa? Exactly. Well, I mean in the summer, I guess. Santa's village. <laughs> okay. So being that it is this time of year, we have a very special Halloween surprise for you. <laughs> Featuring our assistant editor, Jay Alleray. Alleray? Alleray. Alleroux. Jay Alleroux. It's not a kangaroo, eh? <laughs> he's Canadian, so he's Alleray. <laughs> eh? Okay. Jay's from uh, Canada. They're great white north, eh? Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you could tell by talking to him, but he chose the movies that we're going to talk about. So let's get to it. Jingle, jingle. Jay! Hi! Why don't you like A Nightmare Before Christmas? Imagine a fantastic journey to the very edge of reality. Surprised, aren't you? Imagine a world where night lasts forever. I am the Pumpkin King! And every shadow has a life of its own. You make flesh crawl! Touchstone Pictures presents a movie where anything can happen. Imagine what your parents will think. Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, rated PG. Well, glad you asked. It just irritates me, and I'm hoping that through this podcast, I can clearly articulate why it just, it it bugs me. I I think it's mostly because it's trying to be this sort of gothy amalgam of Halloween and Christmas, and I'm left thoroughly unimpressed. Another question. Okay. Were you ever a self-avowed goth no no yeah you're just an alternative dude uh indie dude indie rock guy i guess I you like sloan I, I, labels oh dear labels i don't know i was like this guy who liked classic and contemporary punk rock uh, contemporary being from, from the early 90s mid 90s and i liked a lot of indie rock but i probably self-identified more with like the punk ethos and i just said ethos oh. punk but looking at you <laughs> it looks like you'd be into like rocket from the crypt or something yeah, I like some of their songs. I wouldn't say I'm not. I'm not <laughs> saying that you would have to like them. I'm just saying I would assume oh. that you would be into Rock from the Crypt just looking at you in your style because <laughs> you, your hair is cool and you have those glasses and, you know, you just look like that. Okay. But what are they? They're like post-punk or something. I don't know. Anyway, I really like their song Ditch Digger. Yes, that's a good but one. But <laughs> LB, uh-huh. since you're here, uh-huh. hi, LB. Hello. 
proprietor of Grumpire. She's the queen of Grumpire. Hello. Hi. So you've been mistaken for a goth by my mom. Uh-huh. <laughs> by your mom. <laughs> because you were wearing all black yeah. uh, when we, we first met you. And um, you you were covering your sleeve tattoos. Not sleeve tattoos, but you have a couple tattoos on your arms and you covered with them. With sleeves. Uh, so my With sleeves. So my parents wouldn't be stupid and judge mm-hmm. you which they might but my mom was like she's dressed in black yeah is she a goth, a goth. i'm saying yeah i'm saying it <laughs> funny like with an f in the middle of the word because it's didn't funny. she say is she a gothic i, th- I think <laughs> so. I, I, yes she said gothic actually <laughs> is, is she a gothic and i was like what no yes yeah, she's a gothic novel but mother. you did have your hair shorter mm-hmm. and darker mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you were uh, wearing the cardigan that long black cardigan. well this was a this was a time in my life in which um i did wear black a lot because you know it's slimming black is slimming but also like i kind of have this like idea in my head that like i guess because i'm like kind of a rock chick in a way i mean not really like a rock chick but like you're an indie rock yeah chick. you know in- you just want to look tough and wear black and you know cuff your jeans and she was an alternative girl yeah i did have shorter hair i did have like feruza bulk hair for a while so yeah. I-, I could see how i could be mistaken for a gothic or an emo ick <laughs> but no, no no um it's funny is she a goth? Yeah, I was never goth. I I have never identified as goth. Now, among us, which is strange, very strange, because I am not, but I am the most <laughs> goth. You're the most goth us. of all three of us? I am absolutely, between the three of us, the most gothic person huh. here. I was a dark music listener. Oh, okay, I was like a little hip-hop kid, and then I discovered like Depeche Mode and... The Cure and stuff from K Rock that was dark. Ministry, Jesus and Mary Chain. Yeah, they're pretty dark. Ministry, yeah. some of it, like not not revolting cocks. No, 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 no. That's a nothing, side nothing okay. too crazy like that. Only what uh, one hundred twenty minutes played. Uh, like, but I I gravitated towards some of the darker things that would be skinny puppy considered goth. Like, no, that's industrial. That's well, tangential. Lots to of goth, goth. like it's industrial. Not the same thing as goth. Okay. <laughs> so, um, like, yeah, of course, dark, like Nine Inch Nails, and yes, some ministry, but like Love and Rockets, mm-hmm. stuff like that. You love the okay. church. Um, and uh, not totally love the church, but they're just dark indie alternative. They're not goth or anything, LB. But I guess right now, if you released a song that was just like Under the Milky Way um, <laughs> by a, a contemporary band, people would consider it new goth, which is weird because they're just an Australian band. Anyway, my point is <laughs> I was around the darker edge of things. And of course, one of those things and li- living in Southern California for as long as I did, was Oingo Boingo. Uh-huh. Which is considered a new wave band. Mm-hmm. Or a, as they started, they were a ska band. And then they merged into new wave. And then they went, whatever weirdo else they went towards the end of their career. But Danny Elfman was the guy pretty much writing all the music. Collaborating with his bandmates but he's the brain behind it yeah so he also is that for nightmare before christmas it's pretty much his musical show Mm -hmm. i just have in my notes that i need to remind jay to talk about california goth (laughs) yeah okay that that might actually apply but jay that and are you okay aware were you 
because you're a year older than me or a few months older than me. Were you aware being in the great white north of Oingo Boingo at all? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Only from movies or were you by the albums? What? Uh, you, you know, just hearing songs and just being generally aware of them and also through movies. I mean, there is this one uh, great tome I have somewhere. It's well-read, dog-eared, but Spin Magazine's Guide to Alternative Music. And you see, kids, before we had the ability to sample songs on the line, we would sometimes like take a chance on you know special ordering a cd or record album and seeing if we liked it and hopefully we convinced ourselves that we liked it <laughs> and mm-hmm. i think a lot of those entries uh that's where i discovered a lot of bands that i heard referenced by like people like kurt cobain and other music artists at the time and i'd be like oh like, you know because kurt cobain would reference like the raincoats and all these other sort of at the time more obscure lesser known punk rock bands that book has like has like all kinds of music genre and they did have uh oingo boingo they, they were very d- different interesting i i've never i've never been a big new wave fan i mean i like a lot of this you know the bands and artists who were kind of would slip uh, for lack of a better term slip into the genre or then slip out again like someone like elvis costello i know blondie was often considered new wave after a while even though they were part of the new york punk scene but anyway yeah no so i was aware of that the long <laughs> long about answer but yes, Oingo Boingo was definitely on my radar. I think I felt that they were just a bit, bit too goofy for me. That's if, so, I, if I have to be honest. <laughs> I'm not you saying wouldn't like be just... into anything like the Aquabats. No, no, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're also goofy. They actually do a really good cover song of an Oingo Boingo track called "The Controller." It's really actually very good. But uh, yeah, um, I'm way not into the Aquabats anymore and i was for a hot minute but they're directly influenced by that kind of weird stage presentation of oingo boingo Mm -hmm. that's a tangent i wouldn't expect you to even glance at the aquabats i'd expect you to look at the aquabats and go like (laughs) (laughs) just that (laughs) but what what was lb was like asking you know like like what i think of california goth i think that is kind of like that that's to me like that sort of I mean, you can't control where you're born and all that. So, I mean, it just to me, the idea that a lot of people who are sort of, you know, self-identify as goths, you know, living in as adults in sunny California, smoggy sunny California, I guess, uh, with all those beautiful blue skies, golden sunshine, as David Lynch always says. I think I just find that just kind of hilarious. Like, I mean, it's like, you know, you're a goth, but yet you're in like one of the sunniest places on earth generally so yeah uh, no it's it's a juxtaposition of that yeah of course no it's the it's the beach city's Mm -hmm. attitude of uh well a lot of the goth over there is is also merged with the psychobilly rockabilly culture yes yeah not all of it i mean there is distinctly the dark academia style goth that just sticks to books probably more your kind of goth if you're actually going to go goth jay (laughs) would be the dark academia i like that uh, dark academia early stuff like it's post it's post british goth Susie and the banshees stuff Mm -hmm. but it's it's uh the early 90s gray skies american except in southern california you don't really have the gray skies very often you do have overcast but it's always pretty bright over there yeah so it's a juxtaposition of that and it's a certain kind of person that's like to the southern california beach culture and whatever yes and a lot of that is in Anaheim or Orange County, and they're a bunch of rockabilly types. You know, social distortion, 
you might consider a goth band, even though they're not. They don't play gothic music. They just play rockabilly or yeah, but beer rock or whatever, bar rock, <laughs> bar social D, and they're yeah. they have so, they have some gothy sounding. Like some, the, the subject matter can be dark mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. And so Oingo Boingo came out of Southern California. That's right. Danny Elfman went on to do, of course, we know Pee Wee's Big Adventure. <laughs> for Beetlejuice. And Batman. I believe it's pronounced Batman. It's Batman. Batman. <laughs> what are you, British? To do Nightmare Before <laughs> Christmas. And when he did Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah, yes. he wrote all the stuff and he sang all the stuff. And then, of course, Chris Sarandon spoke all of his parts because he's Danny Elfman, not exactly a good actor. He's a great singer. Yes. So his work on it, I think, is is fantastic. Yes. However, I'm not necessarily keen on musicals. Right. Yes. This is and the com- want- this is the conflicting part. Okay. Because it. Uh, what is it? Well, because this is a brilliant and amazing music, and it's. I mean, the story's all right of this, I guess. But, like, I know you don't like musicals exactly. In a general sense. In a general sense. sense. This is the thing. Like, this is such theater kid cinema. Mm. That's a good good point, yes. You know, like, it's Mm. it's like you want to really like it, but then there's just something that's holding you back because, like, that's just not you. Like, like, well, at least with my experience anyway, I just, like, I can't admit to liking it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because I'm too cool for that. I'm too cool for this, but... I don't like flamboyance in just about any way, so... Which is not necessarily true, because I'll go ahead and I'll be like, uh, uh, have a nostalgic moment and watch The Mask or something. Plenty. (laughs) Plenty flamboyant. So, uh, or or any What do we we watch the other day? Zoolander, even. We watched Zoolander Zoolander. a couple days ago, and that's plenty flamboyant like in a different way uh, but like cheesy yeah um, i don't like to use the term camp that much but when you come to theater camp is very big because you have to project so much yes uh to the audience now in the vocalization of the songs i think it gets to that more than the because these are stop motion animation but the vocalization of it is way way theatrical to a point where I don't know why it's so weepy, Jack Skellington. I don't know why you're <laughs> weeping so much while you're singing. Oh, somewhere deep inside of these bones, an emptiness began to grow. There's something out there far from my home, a longing that I've But it's supposed to be super emotional, super thick with emotion. And I I get it. I've seen this movie way too many times. I had the tape. I had the DVD. And then I got married to LB and we got rid of it. Uh, Which is fine. I usually usually lament that. But it's fine. I didn't have a care about it at the time. But I had seen it so many times that this time that we watched it, I'm sitting here singing along and it's autopilot. Yeah. I can imagine that. Uh, I don't know if I will. I'm glad I wasn't there, but I can imagine it. (laughs) 
yeah, it was really weird. I was like, what's happening right now? Like, this is, <laughs> I'm like, I've, this I know is almost all I the lyrics. Dude. I don't know anything about you. I had the CD as well, but I was a big Danny Elfman guy. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't everything Danny Elfman. Like I said, in their later career, when, when Boingo went weirder and darker, I actually didn't really like that. And this was like a step back towards the good Oingo Boingo, but then it, at the same time, it was still meh, musically. So even though I know it, because I heard it so many times, even though some of the songs are, uh, as the youth call, bangers. <laughs> Don't say that. Most of it's mash for me. Mm. Well, I, I think you both have, like, As far as the music goes. Yeah, no, and I think I, I totally agree because, look, I have no problem with musicals. My partner, Mana, one of her fa- all-time favorite movies is Oliver, so unfortunately I've had many of those songs, <laughs> like, embrace... You, you know, keep threatening like, Oliver. I know, I keep threatening to write about Oliver just as, like, a... But, I, mean, I don't know I, what to draw, Jay! Well, yeah, but and one of my favorite movies <laughs> is Singing in the Rain, which is just a great yeah. musical, and so yeah. I okay. this I can I give you that. I give you it's all musicals, but no, one, I give you that. I give okay. you that. But like, okay, here's the thing though. I find about this film, and it's and, you know, I, it's not because it's a musical that I dislike it, and I I don't. To be fair, I don't think this movie is a terrible movie per se. I just it doesn't. I just don't like it, be, and we'll get into more why I don't like it. But after the opening, like this is Halloween, which is you know a jaunty you know song. I, like how many people can remember outside of the really super obsessive fans like my sister in law, who's probably the gothiest person in Red Deer. How, how many people like remember any of the songs really? Outside, when they're not watching it outside of this is halloween even after i just watched it recently i'm like okay i don't remember any of the other songs because they just didn't what's this what's this interest. that's all i remember of that song though <laughs> yeah i think it's what most people just remember is like this is halloween like it's it's a great little song it's you know yeah. you think okay this is gonna be a great movie it's fun like if it's gonna be like this and i i'm not saying because some of the songs are sad later on obviously but it's just and there's nothing obviously wrong with danny elfman's voice singing voice it's just, honestly I, I only remember this stuff as it's happening happening yes it gets triggered and it's like you know the lyrics now do it <laughs> it's like a program it's it's like i'm uh like a manchurian candidate but of but but like that just speaks to the bigger problem i find with the film is that it's because it was you know the idea behind this was was tim bird and he he you know it, it's obviously it's an homage to uh the the rankin bass you know stop motion specials from your i mean we all loved like you know uh the Red rudolph the red-nosed reindeer classic with the island the dentist but he was envisioning it just as like a half hour like short and then i feel like because it's drawn out to this feature film length i feel it's really thin like the plot is very thin oh it's definitely you know what the plot is just like it's uh, a parody it's a parody of a night before christmas right a nightmare before christmas yes what's good about it is that it doesn't follow the narrative of a nightmare before christmas and just turn it like into a lazy modern version of it like a weird owl a mad libs (laughs) changing things to be dark and gross within that narrative it changes it which is nice actually yeah if you you want to be technical that poem is actually called a visit from saint nicholas okay be technical about it is it lb i will I learned that from Three Oranges. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's the clever thing about it is that it's its own thing ultimately. But its inspiration is to be a parody of. Yes. You know, I don't like this film because it is like Jay said, it's kind of shallow. I mean, there there are 
I guess, identity crisis moments in it that are relatable to some people. Yes. Well, it's all 14-year-old, right? 14-year-old. Yeah. Like, this is what I'm, I'm stuck <laughs> in in my life trajectory right. by right, what's right, expected right. of me. I don't want to do that. And yeah. then they discover some other hobby, which is what Jack Skellington did. He's discovered the hobby of Christmas, and he went for that for a while. And then he's so terrible like at what, it. So yeah, he what, gives up. what every teenager goes through at some uh-huh. point. Me, it was getting rid of Garfield. So <laughs> getting rid of Gar. Oh, okay. There's Sally escaping from her uh, opp- oppressive. oppressive yeah. You're a girl. You're supposed <laughs> to be like this. I'm a mad scientist, right. which represents men. Yeah. Um, there's that. I mean, so there are some like deeper arguments that you can say about this movie, but yes. I think the major shallowness comes in the all the Halloween town people are just total dicks and they want more. <laughs> You know, like, it's just like... Hey, isn't that uh, Halloween people now? Yeah, okay, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, I don't <laughs> yes, I don't want to be, like, super insulting, but... Ding, 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 ding. But yeah. Halloween, Halloween people are greedy-ass mother truckers. Yeah, they and totally are. they want Halloween all year, so they're going to yep. steal Christmas, which is, like, the, the most glorious holiday of them all, and be really bad at it. <laughs> like... <laughs> They want to gothify Christmas, and it's like, yeah, no. like yeah. come on, calm down. You have it's your just... own thing. Give, yeah. you well, know. But hold on to the writing's credit, which is not Tim Burton writing it. It's just adapted from a unpublished uh, poem that he wrote. Yeah, with doodles that he drew. But to the writer's credit, I forget her name. Caroline uh, she, something. Yeah, something. So she writes that that doesn't actually work. That they mm-hmm. are screwing up Chris. Uh, yeah, they are screwing up Christmas. Yeah, and Mr. which is Oogie good. Boogie, who is even more like yes. the only person who does have any sort of backbone <laughs> is Jack Skellington, pun intended. So yes, he's the one who's like the teenager who learns how to be himself, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good arc uh, that he has, and then he be- he's able to befriend the thing that he he's not good at and enjoy it for what it is without having to be the selfish halloweener doing halloween all the time like mr oogie boogie was gonna do there's depth there is sure it's just annoying there was a nice scene where he's like you know when he's co-opting christmas and he he like gives the shrunken heads to the the, the horrified child and I, I i you know i smiled at that scene i'll, I'll admit to that but but no, those I are the they're... scenes where christmas is being broken and it's yes it's, in the writing they're saying christmas is being broken this doesn't work which i think is interesting i i, I just think this could have been uh, a much more clever film if it were, you know, like the length of a the original Grinch Who Stole Christmas or like a, like a true like Christmas special. If it was just, you know, like a 30, 40 minute short, mm. I think that would be great because then it, it would make sense to me. It, it wouldn't be so, I, I think, thin. I think it would, you could you could pack in a lot in that short amount of time without having to like draw it out and then, you know, have this like, oh, just these Have it be a musical? <laughs> Yeah, musicals have songs, are, absolutely, yeah. Like, musicals stop the story dead. And if you have yeah. a thinner story, which most musicals seem to do, it drags things out to kind of painful lengths. That's why the the slower ballads in this are excruciating to me. <sighs> yeah, so bad. And it's not bad music writing or anything. It's bad experience for me. The long, slow, sad, woe is me songs in this. 
just very stop the movie dead. It's like, and I always say this about musicals, especially the bad ones. It's like pornography that is trying to be a film. All the sex scenes happen and they stop the movie dead. And once you're done enjoying those scenes, you're kind of disinterested in the rest of the movie. Like once the first scene passes or something, you're like, oh, there's another hour and a half of this great so you're you're comparing the night before christmas to a uh i'm comparing porno film (laughs) musicals okay okay and i've always said it's It's also like the same thing about action movies uh Mm -hmm. action movies musicals and pornography all have the same sort of structural issues I should say. Because you can make a good one out of any of them, I suppose. But they always stop for the action scenes, if you know what I mean. The musical numbers, the action scenes, and the uh, hardcore action scenes. They always The movie stops to indulge us with those. Yes. The story stops. I think stops. in this film, definitely, it's just like, oh, okay, here we go. Like, yeah, oh, we don't have anything else, so here's a song. And then they the go, mirror. oh, right, wait. This, this song had a little to do with the plot. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> well, now the next dialogue scene. There's a, a a feeling of redundancy because of the aesthetic of this film is very gloomy. It's dark. It's it's Halloween. Or, do you, you know. want them to spend more time in Christmas Town? I do. I would like to see a lot more of Christmas Town or Christmasville or whatever they call it. It's Christmas Town. Is it? Halloween Town and nearby Christmas Town. Okay. So the sad, weepy songs are like mm-hmm. c- compounding the already just bummer atmosphere. Yeah. You know, so it's like it just drags you down even more and you're like, oh, can this please just be over? <laughs> but uh, uh, to be fair, to be fair though, like Catherine O'Hara, I, I, I didn't even know this was Catherine O'Hara until I saw, I, I couldn't remember that. And I saw that it's like, what? Uh, SETV's Catherine O'Hara. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So kudos to her, but yes, I, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but like, yeah, no, like the songs are, yeah, sorry. She's a good performer in general. We were just talking about her. I don't fault her or Chris. Sarandon. Chris Sarandon does the voice of Jack Skellington, and Paul Rubens yes. shows up as one of the lock, stock, and barrel little dudes. Catherine O'Hara yeah. does a voice of that, and so does Danny Elfman does one of the voices of that. This is such a Tim Burton club. Yeah, it I mean, is, you know, and I think that's one to... of the problems again. What? Because what, what's wrong I feel with... like, okay... If you, you using got your it, old cast the, yeah he's, he's taking his cast but, but that's the problem though i think the director is supposed to be henry Selleck. i feel like you know it's you know tim burton i know he it's based on his poem it's like his like idea and everything and i think he was busy filming batman returns so he couldn't uh batman so returns on own. the front end the front end of the film was batman returns and the back end of the film was ed wood so he was only right. on set for 10 days yeah so i mean even though it's supposed to be Selleck's film he's kind of beholden to tim burton's you know vision yeah. and i don't think he really gets a ch- his authorial voice i don't think he gets a really chance to shine until you do other films later on including the one we're going to talk about later but i mean it so i feel like like it's yeah it's just like here we're just shoving tim burton and and i like a lot of early tim burton but i think a lot of people now will say that he's a kind of a one-trick pony in terms of what he does mm-hmm. although one could argue that wes anderson is that but hey uh mm. <laughs> no wes anderson keeps that, finessing but... his thing wes yeah. anderson yes. keeps but... he evolves his style and he finesses okay. his style right he, or... he, yeah good point uh, it might get more picturesque and more more diorama like as we go along in in wes anderson's career but tim burton's thing 
which did that at the beginning. Well, not the very beginning. Mm-hmm. With Pee Wee, it really wasn't that. But at the very, very beginning with Frankenweenie, it was that. So Frankenweenie and Beetlejuice are very similar. And yes. you can tell what you can tell when he starts getting really bored and like fatigued with right. making so movies. Batman Returns is vision-wise probably the best uh, best Tim Burton movie, which overlaps uh, visually really? with certain themes. Yes, it's it's incredible. I mm-hmm. the first Batman oh, I movie like the I was film super into. I was super into the first Batman movie when it came out, and I was an idiot, fourteen year old, <laughs> fifteen year old, whatever, and I was just like. I want to see this. Yes. Batman's the first superhero I drew. It was really crappy. But then when Batman Returns came out back then, I was just like, it's good, I guess. But like, but we watched it recently. Holy crap. That movie's great. It's great. Yeah. All the way great. Everything's great about it. Except for Batman doesn't kill. But other than that, I liked the film a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like, I'm a long, I was a long time Batman reader. Like Batman, Batman does kill. kill and take pleasure. Well, in self-defense, but he doesn't take delight in killing somebody. Oh, I mean, when I he like, kills Burton, in Batman you don't know Returns, Batman. when he kills in Batman Returns, it's kind of like a punchline, though. It's like a visual. Yeah, punch I get it. And it's, not like it's, it's not necessarily him going like one-liners, but it's like a visual one-liner. You know what I mean? He yeah. doesn't have to do yeah, a Schwarzenegger, not... see what the potty dicta as his arms are dangling. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> I'm justifying. Well, you, you haven't convinced me, but uh, that's that's for another that's for another podcast. We should totally do that. <laughs> it, abso- it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Yeah. Uh, so but I have a question. So that's what he was doing, though, during all of this. Okay. Okay. So you, one of the things you pointed out to me uh, prior to this was that for the film soundtrack, there is a narration that's much very yeah. very different from from well, what was the, in the first film, half of I'm, it is the same. The second half yes. finishes the story. But the thing I'm wondering is because for people who don't may, maybe not know, Sir Patrick Stewart, he provided the narration for the film soundtrack, but his voice isn't anywhere that found in the film. And I'm like, why wouldn't you use his rich voice for the film? Because it would just you know it's it's not going to take people out of the film by hearing his voice. So it's like, why did yeah, I, I like don't the narrator in the film? I don't know. That's a lost opportunity. I feel the main narration on the CD ends with a longer epilogue than what yes. the movie ends with. And finally, everything worked out just fine. Christmas was saved, though there wasn't much time. But after that night, things were never the same. Each holiday now knew the other one's name. And though that one Christmas things got out of hand, I'm still rather fond of that skeleton man. So, many years later, I thought I'd drop in. And there was old Jack still looking quite thin, with four or five skeleton children at hand playing strange little tunes in their xylophone band. And I asked old Jack, Do you remember the night when the sky was so dark and the moon shone so bright when a million small children pretending to sleep nearly didn't have Christmas at all so to speak and would if you could turn that mighty clock back to that long fateful night now think carefully Jack would you do the whole thing all over again knowing what you know now knowing what you knew then and he smiled like the old pumpkin king that I knew, then turned and asked softly of me, 
wouldn't you? Uh, maybe they just couldn't, once they realized that they weren't going to complete that narration that he had already recorded, they couldn't get him back in studio. That's what I think. To re-record mm. the end. So they just had the guy who did the Santa voice do it. That's it. Which I'm pretty sure that's it. Mediocre. But they had... Oh, well, that, that could be. That's legitimate because he was busy filming other stuff probably, so... Yeah, you know, he was still doing Star Trek at the time and whatever, so... Yeah, the rigors of day-to-day filming, yeah. So, I mean... But I, I mean, like, like hearing the, I, I really enjoyed that though, like hearing him provide that sort of uh, narration. Because I mean, man, I mean, he's British, Royal it's Shakespeare. It's different and it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It lends some, lends some credibility, really. Yeah, because I think he's, he's known for doing like, like Christmas Carol. I mean, like he's known for like doing, having done like theatrical and audio presentations. Of I think it's funny that Christmas his Carol, so. the, the cover of his Christmas Carol has him with his cane raised about the smack whoever's looking at the poster. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's why is he such a jerk? Like I know he's screwed. Cuz he's screwed. I know <laughs> like, he's like, do you know the story of a Christmas Carol? <laughs> But, like, on the poster, why are you threatening me? I'm just looking at the movie poster as if the poster... The ultimate fourth wall break-in. Anyway, so... It's immersive. But I think that was, again, this is a lost opportunity for the film to really, you know, punch itself up a bit and be, like, you know, finish strongly, and it doesn't to me. Yeah. Hmm. But I'm glad that they put it on the CD. Yes. Yeah, it's it's a good idea. So it could live for all of but then yeah yeah i don't i don't know i think a lot of people miss the point of the movie every day is halloween just doesn't work mm-hmm. get over it no. let it be for its own holiday just shut up about it for the rest of the time it, it loses its a... uniqueness if it's every day it loses its uniqueness so when i see on twitter like only 364 or whatever it is yeah days before mm-hmm. halloween it's like well guess what like two, oh, that, that's the way it goes and they um complain the second a christmas song is played in november they're like oh it's only november <laughs> wait till like christmas eve to play a christmas song god <laughs> it's too soon always yeah. As they spin every day is Halloween by ministry. Uh (laughs) You know, LB came up with a great idea for a shirt and she had me design it. Oh, yeah. It was every day is Halloween, but it has Santa on it. Yeah. And nobody (laughs) likes it. I like it, but nobody likes it. It's really funny. It's a funny shirt. (laughs) But, like, there's so much of our designs. I say our because LB sometimes comes up with the ideas. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I do. But so much of the designs are really kind of like, oh, you like a thing that you're being annoying about? Well, you're dumb. (laughs) I don't think I've seen that design. I'll I'll have to take a look again. Yeah, it's pretty funny. So, Jay, are are you all tapped out on your reasons as to why you dislike... A Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, I think, you know, just the fact that it's so thin, that it's songs that don't now, really... that we just discussed, right? But, like, yeah. didn't you have a thing about the culture surrounding it? The hot well, topic? It... <laughs> that's, and that's the thing that I think is... I think that's unfair to place on the film itself, but I do think there's this kind of... it's The marketing. Inter- it's fascinating, mm. the marketing of it. It, it kind of reminds me, and I haven't seen this movie before, but the, the one that a lot of the millennials and probably even some uh, older Gen Z people really like is that uh, Hocus Pocus, which I, yeah. I, it just doesn't seem like that's a film I would want to see. And I'm like, yep, that's fine. If you like that, that's great. I don't want to go anywhere near that. But it feels like, yeah, like this sort of cult marketing culture.
culture because you know this is Disney mm-hmm. before Disney became like you know the co-opter of everything. Like let's have, let's bring Touchstone. in Marvel, let's bring in Star Wars. They didn't Wars. believe in let's... it. No, they Sorry? didn't believe this movie. This was well, no, they didn't. But I mean, they just once they, they put, saw the they like put, they could market um, it. Well, hold on, the marketing came way way later. Yes, uh, no, of they, course it did. They buried this film when they released it. Yeah, it was a it was Touchstone. Um, and you, we all know that like they had some successes with Touchstone, like Who Framed yeah. Roger Rabbit was. Boom. Huge success. And they it was just stuff that had a little harder edge or was yeah. not necessarily Disney family, right? So yeah, they were it wasn't like, Disney Tim family weird, friendly. Yeah, D- Tim Burton's super weird down. and dark and what? Oh, he has this yeah. huge hit. Batman. Uh, okay, let's give Tim Burton a chance, says Disney. And then they're like, yeah, we still don't like him. <laughs> Remember when he <laughs> was working on the Black Cauldron? We didn't like him then. And we don't like him now necessarily, but he's going to make us a lot of. Oh, he's not directing it. Oh, uh, we don't really have to focus on you know helping this movie along when it comes out. Mm-hmm. Then it became a cult hit in the theater among only the gothy types, and then they put it out uh, after he became even more successful and started being like Walt Disney's a nightmare yeah, before Tim Burton's Burton. a nightmare before right. So then the marketing started rolling into the mid-90s where they just were like, oh, right, we could just really push this towards the goth kids. Yeah, the Hot Topic goths. Mm-hmm. Mall goth. Mall goths, yeah. I mean, just, it's like a cause celeb for them. Like, just this kind of like, look, because like my aforementioned sister-in-law, she has so many, and I mean, like, I my partner showed me a picture recently of her house, and she was given this uh, Jack Skellington Christmas, like, statue that she's got in the front lawn with all the snow around it and i'm just like oh dear <laughs> she's got a lot of nightmare before christmas paraphernalia and it's impressive it's an impressive collection and, and even our <laughs> niece is like now uh our, our 12 year old niece is like totally into the same you know the movie itself and all the accoutrement so it's like okay great we've you've the next generation of uh, nightmare before christmas fans are already here <laughs> so it's just it's funny yeah a film that was neglected like that by desney and now like they're reaping all the because i'm sure it makes a lot of money every year at yeah. halloween and at christmas for the that, that particular group the licensing of it to so many different products like i saw advertisement i guess it was halloween and part of it was a jack skellington costume for your dog i'm like this is a bit much <laughs> this is too Wait, much shouldn't it be just the ghost yeah dog it should be zero the, right i mean it, it if should be zero really... with the jack-o-lantern nose yeah because his nose is a jack-o-lantern that's cute actually yeah, it's there's That's a lot. Not okay, a good idea. Jay, Jay. There's a yes. lot of little hidden gem details in this movie that are incredible. Okay. Like mm-hmm. the nose is one of the most notable ones. Where it, you, you just, just see it as a glowing. Yeah, thing. you're like, oh, it's a Rudolph nose, right? No, it's a jack o' lantern. It's a little jack o' lantern. It's super cute idea, and they have all these little gags like that all speckled throughout. So I mean, it encourages repeat viewing if you just want to look for those types of. So there's a lot True. of cleverness to this film. It is uh, not. Things. It is not a bad movie. You know, like no, and I, and I said that too. I it said is it's not, not a bad at all. Movie. It's just yeah. You watch it's it. It's not one that we've seen the like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's it's one of those things where as I'm watching it, I'm like, eh, this is this is fine. I don't really have too many yeah. complaints about this film as it's going along. It's fine. But then you realize this is not an aesthetic that I'm into. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And then the diehard fans make it annoying. <laughs> yes. So that that's what it is, really. That's my biggest complaint. Hell is other people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what it was made for this film. 
it's through no fault of the film really but no i don't know i mean there's a little fault of the film and that little fault of the film is tim burton himself because the guy is a friggin' misfit toy but instead of being like like i don't know like me i'm i'm fine with being whatever the misfit toy i am i don't want to put it in everything that i make i don't want to put that theme there edward scissorhands was very important to me and i related a lot to edward scissorhands Mm -hmm. but not in the way that tim burton did right (laughs) that's a huge theme for for halloweenies too is that misfit thing everyone thinks that they're a misfit when there's such a huge community of misfits that they're not misfits anymore i mean all the batman movies both batman movies the first one which was a dry run and the second one which is the finesse perfect version uh they both have the misfit themes Mm -hmm. completely misfit themes who does he relate to in all of it he relates to the penguin he relates to batman himself and he relates to mm-hmm. Catwoman. All of those. He doesn't relate to the the worst big rich guy, basically. Max Streck being yeah. Disney, <laughs> right. perhaps, being representative Maybe. of corporate evil, etc. You know? And you know that... Chris Kringle, afraid not. That Sorry. theme gets really tired. Tired, It's yeah. a very tired theme. And, and yes. is indicative of a person who is very self-centered, like selfish, like just wants to like wallow in this misfitism, you know? They, and that is in Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. They say, you know, like the, the quiet person in the room is the one who's like the most selfish or the most like self, I don't know, self-involved. You know what I'm talking about? Like, Yeah, no, I understand. Are, are you getting at the uh, shyness is nice, but shyness can stop you? from doing all the things in life you'd like to yeah yeah Smith's sort mm-hmm. of thing where i don't know if the song i don't remember i, I remember that that line from it but mm-hmm. uh, where as i've observed a shy person is really this is why my mom had a problem with my friend's wife because she was painfully shy and my mom took that as judgment mm-hmm. she was judging uh-huh. and, and refusing to get along and just being shy and not speaking up but like looking and watching instead of carrying on with us so that looking and watching seemed like they were judging mm-hmm. and, and you know, passing judgment type of judging yeah and that but that's on the other have... person though not the person who's actually shy because i'm someone who who was very shy and i've had to i had to work to to serve uh, but when to, you were shy then... out of that when you were shy, were you just glaring at everybody from within your shy shell <laughs> and judging them since you were shy? No. You weren't no, doing that? Not at all. No. Oh, interesting. I was like wondering like how could I like I should go talk to people or I wish I could be comfortable enough to go up to somebody and have a conversation or start a conversation. Like I'm still a little bit like if I'm in a like a party with a bunch of strangers, I'm not usually the one that starts the combo. I usually mm. need someone to kind of come in and kind of, and then I'm good to like okay, but I'm not I'm not the type that's really good at like hi and just kind of ingratiating myself on somebody. Jay, what you need uh, is a good a catchphrase. <laughs> you need a good catchphrase. <laughs> yes, I guess I do. <laughs> you need to just walk into the room and say my banjo is crooked or something. <laughs> my banjo is cooking. Hmm. And they don't know what that means. And then you go, hey, it doesesn't mean anything. Hi, my name's Jay. It's <laughs> a good idea. I don't walk away. You can have that one. My banjo is crooked. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> Did you know that this film has a sequel? Yeah, it's in a novel form, though. Yes. I'm surprised that Disney hasn't exploited it for turning it like turning it. They haven't yet. because Tim Burton doesn't want it. 
He's like, it's a, it's oh, a really? lightning, well, yeah, lightning in a bottle situation. It is what it is. It's it's kind of a masterpiece on his own. And he actually doesn't want to take full credit of it. He's given it to Henry Selleck, who made what it is. Mm-hmm. But Henry Selleck is also like, it's a collaboration. Like, I'm following his vision, but mm-hmm. his vision is very yeah. similar to my own. So... <laughs> What's that story about Tim Burton coming in to the, the offices as they were working on it? And he got so mad he like kicked a hole in the wall or something. Yeah, Ooh, I don't yeah. remember why he kicked a hole in the wall, but he kicked a hole in the wall. And then they're like, that's Tim's hole from that point on. Yeah, I, like I framed. Or I something? believe I remember. I think it's because the, with the ending, they had it that Oogie Boogie was revealed to be Dr. Finkelstein. Okay. Oh. And, there was a switch. And he thing, really didn't right. want that. And he like got so mad that he kicked a hole, kicked a hole and he kept the hole in the wall. As some sort of joke. Uh, or yeah. I think they took the plaster of it. And like, so, I mean, but yeah, he, he was very, because I think even there was a lot of concern reading up on this film too, that there was a lot of concern about Oogie Boogie being possibly a unintentionally racist uh, character. Mm. Um, uh. And he was like very, very defensive about that, saying it's not. And well, I, I don't that, think like, it is. Uh, no, I mean, well, I'm not I saying it is, but I mean, a lot of people were were kind of just the the, the appearance. Well, it's very screaming uh, Jay Hawkins. You know, it's very. Well, I don't. Yeah. I I don't think so. But not I think there was like I think it was voice. Danny Elfman was a little worried. I think the screenwriter Carolyn Thompson also kind of they were just kind of conversing with Burton about it, and he that's and he was like just no no it's not. I think Henry Selick said it was definitely uh, Oogie Boogie was inspired by the Betty Boop cartoon, The Old Man of the Mountain. He said Cal Cal would dance as inimitable jazz jazz and sing Minnie the Moocher or Old Man of the Mountain, and they would rotoscope him, trace him, turn him into a cartoon character often transforming him into an animal like a walrus. I think those are some of the most inventive moments in cartoon history and no way racist, even though he was sometimes a villain. So I think that's what he was just trying to explain. Like, that's where the inspiration yeah. for Oogie Boogie came from. Exactly. And that it wasn't... Yeah. So really, I, I think that, that kind of answers it. From the filmmaker himself. When when that scene came on, I really had the thought, this is like Screaming Jay Hawkins. This is like that old style kind of Louisiana... I don't want to go and say voodoo, but it, it is that like mm-hmm. old... Well, that, that like kind of old... Jay Jay Hawkins. Well, yeah, pick, right? I'm saying Oogie Boogie kind of is reminiscent of that. That like thematically, maybe. Yeah, but it's... I, I thought you were talking about how he sounds. No, 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 no. I'm talking about thematically. Like he reminded me of that kind of thing where it's about dark magic and and then the, the gambling stuff like like i had that thought but i'm not i don't think it's racist i think it's like a reference to old yeah, style i don't know about i don't know about homage but i think reference to like cab calloway type of thing mm-hmm. but okay. well the cab calloway thing tracks with the fleischer cartoon yeah it's a mixture of things but i don't think it's exactly racist i don't know why though this is a point of topic not for us i'm just saying at all yeah. when when looking at art like this in particular because it's, it's like people saying well, the, no it's like people when wednesday came out people saying that uh the black characters are represented as bullies or something in wednesday you watched it and people are getting mad about yeah, it. yeah i watched it people are getting mad i about didn't that. uh didn't think that at all and i wasn't thinking that there uh, well mm-hmm. no twitter is 
all a Twitter about how well, that misrepresents yeah. or that you're painting black characters. Like all character, every kind of person, color, creed, whatever, every kind of person can be a villain or a hero. And they didn't. Or and, a, they, a and they obviously character. didn't watch the whole series or a thing. They didn't obviously watch the whole series because they thought that they're they're bullies. Well, these characters who are you know, but they whom they perceive to be bullies turn out not to be bullies, but just well-rounded characters like everybody else in life, where you do good things, bad things you know like there's redemption like so i i don't really see that so that which just their their view which just furthers my point that when people do this as far as their criticism goes they're looking to find that Mm -hmm. yeah even even where it isn't but all right well i think have we have we dissected uh nightmare before christmas (laughs) i think i think so which brings us to andrew our andrew you're forgetting something i'm not forgetting it seems like you are (laughs) I'm just thinking about Danny Elfman, but <laughs> oh, oh, and his beefy muscles nowadays. Yeah, I don't think I expressed enough that I really like Danny Elfman a whole lot, and I have a lot, especially of, this year, lot of respect you, for like, him. Dove mm-hmm. back into Boingo. I did uh, after years of only like tiptoeing around the stuff whenever I play it, but like you dove into it. I think the casual Oingo Boingo listener might not realize how much depth their catalog has so much how rich anyway and i really do like his <laughs> his latest work his latest work is dark and interesting and he's not lost any sort of creative energy which is amazing for his age because yeah. like you know a lot of times as bands or artists grow older they just kind of uh, plateau into um, making the same kind of music and it you know it could be good it could be like solid mm-hmm. but it's also just kind of boring but that is not the case and, and touring in beer halls and casinos across north america <laughs> yeah. i complain a lot about the pixies new output like andrew's fine with it and i understand why not the latest i understand the latest why new output you've even said that well that's even better than it the is last better yeah because I, I really just think that they've plateaued and can't make anything that's like edgy anymore but yeah, that's why i haven't listened to the new stuff because i just I, I feel like i'll be just ultimately very disappointed yeah. if i, I don't it. think very is is appropriate i think you might be a little disappointed i don't think very just listen to okay. all of their latest all, like enough, everything so. after kim left and check it out and then you'll be like i don't like that necessarily it's mm. fine i don't like mm-hmm. that uh, well no that's better and then the latest one you're like huh okay Fine, yeah. That's how it was for me anyway. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I digress, LB. Yes. You were You know, I was I yes. was uh I was at my parents' house recently. Andrew, do you remember? Uh yes. <laughs> how recent are we talking? You know, recently. Time? Just in recent times. And I found this old book of poetry that I wrote in high school and you know, high school poetry, not exactly yes. good, but you're trying to express your soul because you think that you're important you think that you're oppressed especially okay so this is the nightmare before christmas and we talked about this how how it's a story of a 14 year old like jack skellington was born in you know 1980 and this movie came out in whenever so he's only he's only 14 he's 13 14 so this is his story of growing up like that's what high school poetry is like this movie is high school poetry yes so i found this poem that i had written about the nightmare before christmas which seems plausible actually this time yeah it does a lot of times you predict things yeah so anyway um do you guys want to hear it no absolutely did you say did you say no andrew i said he said absolutely i said not and i said no before that yeah forget it (sighs) i'm gonna take my earbuds off now (laughs) 
Jay's gonna hear it because Jay likes. I'm gonna Jay hear likes it. this sort of thing. Yes. Okay. Twas the nightmare before Christmas, and all through the house, creepy crawly spiders dangling webs down my blouse. It tickled and itched about as much <laughs> as I could stand. Then suddenly, out of nowhere, came a disembodied hand. I said, "Hell no, I'm out of here!" But before I could run, a clown with big fangs yelled, "Are you ready for some fun?" As my eyes grew larger, I could see what he clutched a plastic clamshell box virtually untouched enclosed in the plastic a videotape was entombed a vintage walt disney picture decorated with gloom the clown smiled widely showing horrific glee as i came to realize he just wanted to watch this movie with me okay said i appeasing the beast not really sure i like this one but it's got danny elfman at least the end Whoa, that was awesome. That was fantastic. I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. Can you uh, read it again? I changed my mind. Can you read it again, please? Twas the nightmare before Christmas, and Andrew's a dope. Ah! Yeah. Okay. <sighs> Something that rhymes with uh, nope. I don't know. <laughs> Pope. Hope. Yeah, okay. So, yes, that was pretty cute, Elby. Okay, thank you. Nicely done. <laughs> well done, teenage Elby. Yeah, I made a real so, poem Jay, this time. What's your alternate? Well, for my alternate, also from director Henry Selleck, comes the movie Coraline. Making up a song about Coraline. She's a peach, she's a doll, she's a pal. Coraline, from the director of The Nightmare Before Christmas. Coraline! They Might Be Giants did that song. Did you know that? Yeah. Oh, are you like, yeah. I don't like They Might Be Giants? I don't like them. <laughs> have you listened Sorry. to them? <laughs> I have. They're just goofy. They are goofy. Uh, they're they're, they're I, really they, weird. They did, a, they did a funny cover of Chumbawamba's, uh, well, their one Tub song. Thumping. I forget the name of it now. Tub. Sorry? Tub. Oh, Tub Thumping. That's right. See, I'm bad with titles, so that was worth a chuckle or two, but yeah, I'm just not a big fan of them, but you know, that's fine. I watched uh, 120, 120 Minutes on MTV, which you didn't have. You had much music, whatever. Uh, Canadian knockoff of cooler. MTV. I don't know no, if they had uh, cooler. the two-hour slot on Sunday nights that they played uh, alternative music videos before alternative was popular, but They Might Be Giants. Yeah, it was uh, called The Wedge. When there was a... Uh, a a hole to be filled as far as a um, a host. So Louis Largent or somebody wouldn't be on there being the host. They would get Brooklyn natives. So Thurston Moore would come in. Mike D from the Beastie Boys would come in and host. Or mm-hmm. they might be Giants would host. Into the future. minutes. Hi, it's me, John Linnell. From They Might Be Giants, with you for the second 60 of MTV's 120 Minutes. Next up, it's a San Diego band called Rocket from the Crypt. And back then, I was way, way into They Might Be Giants. And not so much anymore because oh, okay. of what LB said <laughs> about artists plateauing. Mm-hmm. But they, those two dudes are incredible in a sense in tandem with... Danny Elfman. They're just not going to be as palatable because they are super dorky. <laughs> yes. But they do a song in here, and I actually thought that they did the full 
soundtrack and I was kind of disappointed they didn't. But they do a song in here and it's fine. It's good. It's actually the only song in here that I like. But anyway. Well, there there's definitely much less singing in Coraline than in Nightmare Before Christmas, which I automatically appreciate. So <laughs> There you go. Point 1. Were there like less- <laughs> two musical numbers, three? Three, I think. Eight. Coraline yeah. song and then And they're hu- and the mice. something about the mice and then there was the music the the french, uh, trapeze french and saunders yes yeah yes so so what did you guys think of this film i like this film a lot um mm-hmm. it's got just the right amount of fairy tale and like supernatural and it, it doesn't like dwell on your emotions too much like you just go with it it's not weepy yes it has uh, adventure it has some super creepy moments yeah yeah it's got charm yeah i like it a lot all of those things for me yes but i don't think it has the same kind of staying power and i think that is because it doesn't have danny elfman doing anything in this <laughs> and i i'm serious like there's so many hooks there's okay. so many musical things you might not think that anybody knows the lyrics but they know the melodies they know the tunes of the other songs i do of the nightmare before christmas and i only know Coraline in this that's it that's my john linnell impression and that's the one word i don't know the melody of the song i just know how he sings that word but i know mm-hmm. the melodies of uh i can go on with that other movie yeah you took you with- totally nerded out when we watched batman returns you're like this sounds like making christmas Batman Returns has a little motif that's like dun 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 dun. It's like the same thing as making Christmas. It was done around the same time. Oh my god! You know, it was a little. And we've gotten back to the Batman Returns reference. Yeah. So, but I just don't think it has the talons. Oh yeah. To use that metaphor. See, you know, this is interesting to me because I had never seen this film before, and I've always wanted to though because it just—I've read Neil Gaiman's Sandman comics back in the day. I haven't read them, reread them in a long time, so I don't know if they still hold up or not. I certainly haven't seen the Netflix's uh, uber expensive adaptation, but but you know, but I I, I respect him because he like he 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 knows how to play with like, horror and fantasy, and well, I mean, horror is considered a lot by people as a dark fantasy, anyways. So uh, I just think that it, this was just a great source. Like the source material just seemed like a great idea to turn into a film. And I think I was reading like Henry Selleck, uh, he thought it would be too short because the book mm. isn't very long, but which is kind of funny because The Nightmare Before Christmas, I think, should have been a short film. <laughs> Uh, feature length film but so he was giving so he added some material like the the goofy uh, next door neighbor kid I forget his name but I think that to me though it's really fantastic in a way that I think Nightmare Before Christmas isn't and I think to me like this film is kind of like neglected and forgotten in some ways and I think that's really a shame because I think it's really charming and it's dark mm-hmm. and it but it's unlike Nightmare Before Christmas it's not mopey it's not sitting there like Ooh, like you know yeah Coraline feels sorry for herself at times and you know she's like you know like jack skeleton she's trying to find like her way and her mm-hmm. identity and just trying to you know she's lonely but it doesn't dwell on that i mean it doesn't it's not mired in that and i i appreciate that and i, I just thought i thought here i think this is like uh Selix, like he's let you know yes he's adapting another other someone's material but i feel like this seems like more something he's into mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And like he was just he seems like he's more enthusiastic about this material than he was in A Nightmare Before Christmas. And yeah, maybe there aren't as many memorable songs either. But I I, I appreciate the fact that there wasn't as many songs and I just love the imagery, and I don't know if this, I mean, I know it's supposed to be stop motion animation, but like, was there any, like, I didn't read anything about like things were tweaked with computers, but I was just like, wow, like, this looked really eccentric in a, in a good way, like, very, like, I was like, I don't know if they've done any sort of computer modifications to the oh, stop there's motion. Always, it's just like, there's I'm, always modifications. There's got to be they something. Race armatures. Yeah. Uh, so there's a, a scene. Oh, of course, with, of course, yeah. There's a scene with these uh, paper craft rats with trail tails the tails that trail behind them and that took yes. uh 60 days to animate something like that and oh, wow. it, the raw version has all these metal armatures all over it and that has to be erased and they erase that with digital so that's some of the okay. digital stuff if you have a character that's glowing and stuff like that it's going to be modified with a digital effect usually so they'll have a glowing factor on the little set where the thing glows itself but to enhance that they'll do that with a, a cg thing so mm-hmm. that's well look, i mean like i said in, in a good way i was just like kind of just mesmerized by just like it's it's visuals like just like i mean i knew it was a stop motion but i just thought it was so like the like everything like you know you have this pink for the, the pink house the the mm-hmm. i see i can't remember the name of the the, the rooming house that, that Coraline or family live in but i mean like you've got this distinctive pink house in the middle of like a world gr- greenery and then when we go into when she goes into the other world and like sees all the like you know the other mother and all the other characters the others and it's just like so visually splendid i'm gonna say that yes mm-hmm. visually splendid and I, I just thought this was like just such a superior movie and it's really a shame that uh, it doesn't have that sort of cult like following maybe hopefully in the future well but i mean like right now like i mean because i think this movie was made in 2009 so here we are like nearly 15 years later it's like well i, I think it does later, have it is. a, a cult following but i don't think it has a religious okay. following the there... religious following well, like nightmare before christmas the nightmare, nightmare before christmas has mm-hmm. this huge religion around it metaphorically and this one yes. has a little cult there's know? a lot of Coraline yeah. cosplay oh is there yeah okay. from uh, <laughs> from adult that. <laughs> women and and children alike like yeah. halloween costumes for little girls but also the uh sexy version sexy version that which is weird because but, yeah. Coraline's a child yeah so that's not yes. cool that's that's disappointing and there are there are women doing not surprising but it's not disappointing yeah there are women doing like button eyes so you can see like um other mother costumes and and stuff like that so i mean that's that's kind of cool i think sometimes other mother yeah other mother other mother what did you think of that by the way like the buttons like to me that's that was one of those the, one of the creepiest yeah. things ever was like this this other world where everyone is where i mean that should have been Coraline's first like war- warning that like everyone's wearing buttons for eyes and they're they just look so creepy and, you know be careful what you wish for kind mm-hmm. of thing because i was like oh you can't trust these people because they have buttons for eyes yeah <laughs> it's very black-eyed children yeah it is creepy this story i think is more interesting interesting or more i think applicable to uh, a wider audience because it is a be careful what you wish for it is a don't take mm-hmm. what you have for granted yes which i guess could be applicable to nightmare before christmas it too, is be- 
It is. It's a theme yeah. in that, too. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, there's similar themes, definitely. But, I just think this one does it better. Yeah, I think Coraline does it better as well because it doesn't wallow in the weepiness. You know, it doesn't... Yeah. Um, it doesn't disguise everything in a song and dance. So it's real good <laughs> yes. storytelling. It's streamlined. Yeah. Especially with this kind of animation, you have to be really deliberate with what you're going to put mm-hmm. in the script and you yeah. have to be convinced that this is the best version of what you're going to make there's no easy way to do reshoots with stop motion right this one is uh, it's more of an adventure yes so there are things that are happening to this girl who has her own agency but also things without her control she mm-hmm. she might open up the proverbial pandora's box but she has no control over what's in it mm-hmm. that's an excellent point that is different than the other movie the other movie he does have control over everything that he's doing he's like knocking things over constantly and saying like <laughs> what experimenting what's this what's this and he's just knocking things over just leave it upright stop messing with it it's not yours and this film has uh what nightmare does not have it has the awesome keith david as the cat right I, that's another thing too i found like the supporting characters i mean is even though they're brief they're they're very memorable i mean like like they have like ian mcshane as like this guy sergey Bobinski, this guy that's like i think what did they say he's like he's like a former chernobyl liquidator turned gymnast and that with this my, mouse circus and that's like what like that of course just of course something that you would think neil gaiman would take the one a very dark event in human history and like create a character based on that and then having these these old ladies who used to be like burlesque dancers and uh it's it's they're truly memorable uh background characters which i really appreciated uh in this film compared to nightmare for christmas where yeah there's some interesting character visualizations but i didn't really think much of the background characters there so i think this film does also a much better job with its vocal cast if you will and did you watch this in 3d no i don't have that uh capability i, was, uh, I didn't know you could play it in 3D. well my friend oh you mean like a 3d blu-ray no or? my friend gave us i watched it on uh, netflix oh okay my friend gave us the blu-ray and there's two versions there's the regular version which is one that you watched and then there's a 3d version yes the blu-ray that we got came with a bunch of glasses and it's magenta and green oh. so it, also not the usual not red and blue red right blue. The same process but different colors okay anaglyph is what it's called oh yes anaglyph that's the term. so yeah. we watched that it took a while for our eyes to adjust like uh, it says it takes mm-hmm. about five minutes took about ten a- and yeah. <laughs> double the time i had more trouble with it than you did yeah but like the 3d is pretty good i think we saw this in the cinema didn't we i don't remember uh, i think we saw i don't know we saw a lot of 3d was it released in the 3d originally yeah, it was released in 3d okay i didn't know yeah. that okay but yeah it's it's good 3d stop motion itself is presented in a way that's already kind of 3d anyway your your mind is tricked into yeah, thinking that yeah. because it's all diorama stuff and if you've ever been up against a diorama looking at it that's what stop motion is like so yes yeah i think the 3d stuff worked pretty well the format with the glasses that we got uh, i'm not that big into it would have probably preferred to have seen it as a theatrical 3d film than at home 3d right so you, when you watch it again you'll probably just watch the non 3 
3D yeah. version, the regular version. Yeah, mm-hmm. if we watch it again, yeah. yes. So our friend sent us this Blu-ray because this is interesting because this is our friend who's like super into Disney yeah. and Star Wars and you know like all the, the usual suspects of yeah he's, he's family friendly bro. yeah he's a very film normie yeah so he sent us this Blu-ray because his child couldn't handle no he didn't want his child to handle it oh okay it was it was oh really like they didn't even try no he watched it and was like no Uh this is gonna be too scary for him well the thing is he was a scared kid when he was a kid and he's got this Uh kid Uh he's probably gonna be kind of skittish if he's not ready i don't think he should have sent it to us i think maybe you know save it for later next year or the year before show it to him but whatever well i I could definitely see like a child like a a small child a very young child being like scared by the the imagery and especially other mother uh, gets super freaky Mm -hmm. the bedlam but i think an older child definitely would be okay but yeah i could see like a very young child uh being kind of freaked out my nephew cohen he would if i played this movie for him when he was like even seven years old he would have freaked (laughs) so yeah that's about how now that he's 11 he finally is right now he's not he's like gonna be six or something five he's like five six or something okay yeah something maybe a bit young right now but later so that's why he sent it to us he just didn't he was getting ah. rid of a bunch of stuff, and that's one of them. But do you think that maybe that's why this uh, movie doesn't have such a huge following? Because it yeah, is it, kind of scary? Is, look, it, it's disturbing. Could have even be PG-13. It is PG, but like it actually has scary stuff in it. Unlike what yeah. a lot of PG-13 horror fare that's live action or whatever, for kids and teens, mm-hmm. that stuff isn't necessarily actually scary this has nightmare imagery the whole thing mm-hmm. is kind of presented as a nightmare everything is askew, even the normal life stuff yeah mm-hmm. yeah it does. everything's a bit even in the so-called normalcy everything's just a bit off kilter yep. just a bit it's and not, that is yeah. and I thanks like that. to I thought... henry selick and his <laughs> team henry selick has this i love it this kind of aesthetic that everything's just slightly off the door frames the angles of the house everything's just slightly well yes. right right yeah. and again I, I the fact that it's just this sort of bright pink like it's to me it's just like i mean it's, it's it just shows like the the eccentricity of the owner mm-hmm. which you know we never get to see the owner we just you know she's referenced i think it's the grandmother yes. i could be wrong like, yeah it's the yeah. grandma but yeah we hear about her and some of her life but we don't uh I see think, her i think there's a deleted and... scene on the disc that shows her oh is there yeah i think so i don't remember though but it's probably she's on there YouTube, at the very there. she's there at the very end when they have a little party. Right. But, Is she there? Oh, man. I don't yeah. <laughs> There's, um... Oh. It is interesting that the house is bright bubblegum Pepto. pink. Pepto pink. Yeah. It's interesting because that's a, a total Americana thing. You know, you hear... Oh, what's the same? John Mellencamp with Pink Houses. Because, like, uh, yeah, like there is a thing no, of good. of like houses from the 50s and 60s that are painted that way. And, you know, well, well Tim Sis- Burton did that Edward in Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. 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 I mean, those. Yeah. Norman Rockwell style yeah. kind of Americana. Like, yeah. yeah. Where houses would be painted bright colors like that. And, and, and pink was one of them. So it's like kind of a classic thing. So I find that interesting, especially if that was written by Neil Gaiman into the story, which I'm sure it was. Mm-hmm. Because he's not American. The Pink Palace. So I think that's really cool and and lends some realism to the story that is just weird and nightmarish. What what is it about Leica that only makes genre pictures 
in stop motion. Leica is the studio. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that they've made... They've made one movie that was just an adventure film, but that was still full of creatures and stuff. That was Kubo and the Two Strings, which is an amazing movie. Like, everything that they've done, Paranorm and Box Strolls, like, it's all monsters and creatures. I don't have a problem with that. I think more kids need to see silly monster stuff. Yeah, we, we talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, the the old Disney films in particular weren't afraid to get weird. Right, and be scary. Mm-hmm. So, Like the Sleeping Beauty or Fantasia? To, to get fanboy from Freakazoid on this, like the stuff that they did in the mid-80s, was also trying to showcase kids in peril in an interesting way. Something Wicked This Way Comes and mm-hmm. uh return to mm-hmm. oz and right yeah in particular return to oz gets pretty freaky so it does it does really yes so i saw that recently and i was like why yeah so i'm all for it like show show kids this weird crap show kids hellraiser i don't care <laughs> they need you to do. see stuff <laughs> no <laughs> they need to see no. stuff lb heck razor Stop motion animation. I love to show my nephew Hellraiser and scar him for life. (laughs) Stop motion animation of Heckraiser. Yeah. What was that? That was like the real (laughs) Ghostbusters or something. What were we watching that had like the extreme extreme Ghostbusters Ghostbusters from the 90s that had this sequel to the real Ghostbusters, but it was on Fox and it was all kinds of extreme versions of kids and stuff wearing cool shades and zigzag yeah. haircuts and they had cenobites <laughs> yeah they had this total this episode that was like they weren't black so leather clad cenobites but they they were strappy and totally modeled they they were deliberately cenobites and it yeah. was on a kid's okay saturday so they were deliberately modeled after the hellraiser yeah interesting <laughs> saturday morning cartoon well and i i do have to say one of the things i like about Coraline, not just because it's an adaptation of a children's novel but even Selleck also borrows the name and i think i said bedlam but by mistake earlier it's um it's beldum you know the the other mother and gaiman actually got that from a john keats poem la belle dame sans merci which is in english uh, the beautiful lady without mercy which i think is just like you know again taking that sort of wait la belle dame sans merci like, yeah i know that why do i know that oh well, good well, that's great you have you read the poem yeah i don't know why <laughs> i like i don't have well, this part great. of my history you just triggered more people it. should read john no, keats seriously, so. you just triggered a memory la be- i used to say Ooh. the phrase la belle dame sans merci over and over because it's really interesting phrasing but and i yes. and i don't know french very well so i was but like what is the poem about that was a good pronunciation too i don't remember that uh, it's a poems about a knight who meets this yes uh, like a fairy child with wild eyes and she takes the knight to her elfin grot where she enchants him so it's this kind of very dark fantasy poem it was in the mid 90s romance romantic poet mid 90s when i got into this yes I remember now. Okay. Were you into like a lot of romant- romantic uh, poets? Um, like he's... Arthurian stuff where I got a, okay, I got well, a book the, yeah. of uh, Joffrey the Knight and the Fair Brunezent. That was around the same time that La Belle Dame Sans Merci. So. Yes. Okay. Thank you. 
for Look that little you. jog of the my literary. memory. You see, you like to read, and you read, you've read Keats. <laughs> I, I'm terrible at reading, but you know, dyslexia. But but it, I would do it. But more. the thing is, though, I, I like I just like that kind of spin on it because again, it's it, it is like the spin on the old wicked old witch, or like the sort of beware, you know, because like the like the beldam is like this, you know, she's creepy as the other mother, and you know, if you told me I would enjoy a film that's a villain voiced by Terry Hatcher of all people, <laughs> I would right. be like, what? By the way, they're real oh. and they're spectacular. But she does a really good job because she she can go from being this harried mom who's like trying to get things done and doesn't have time for Coraline's imagination, I guess, for lack of a better term. And then they play this sort of villain who's like this arachnid, like like oh, and I just think of her like spindly little uh, hat. Oh, like her hands are so they're like little knives, and they're so and when they, especially when it's a disembodied, you know, sort of splintered off disembodied hand that they have to throw down the well with the key it's a really effective uh villain yeah and of course she's i mean the, and just like like the best uh, villain she she breaks her word in terms of their agreement she won't mm-hmm. she doesn't stick to it i'm like oh how could someone not do that it's called a villain kids yeah right <laughs> you gotta learn your lessons that's where the nightmare stuff comes in really scary looking designs uh, disturbing looking actually body horror like but for kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I and I think too, like I like you know, just the fact that this corridor to another universe, like to me, I I don't know if it was intentional by Gaiman and Selleck, but like I had this kind of the C.S. Lewis like the the line, the witch in your wardrobe, because you know they go into the closet, and I've never read the books, and I saw the animated movie as a child, <laughs> but I remember when they go through like the closet. It's the same and, in the book. Like, that's how they get to Narnia. Exactly the same. To me, like it was reminiscent of that, where like they, you know, they use a sort of ordinary door. I mean, it's yeah, n- Gaiman's door, got to I mean, have. He's got to have thought about that. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I don't think it's a coincidence. Let's not make it a Christian allegory, though. <laughs> uh. no, no, of course, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's do something that, really mean. disturbing. Uh, because what's more interesting, I think, so. Yeah, and I like that. It's just like these little touches, like little, little, you know, hey, like, you know, obviously Gaiman's well read. And I, this is the thing I remember when he was right, you know, like my, my parents, like, you know, oh, comic books are bad for you. And, you know, all this sort of thing, you know, which I think parents have said for a long time <laughs> over the years. And the fact that, you know, you had this, you know, he wrote like the Sandman. I remember being rich with metaphors and like allusions to other like literary allusions. And I was just like, again, like I was an English major at the time. So I'm like, I'm eating this stuff up. And uh, here we are again. He's still doing it. And I think that's just fantastic. And I think perhaps for kids who are really curious, like, oh, like, where does like, where does all this imagery and ideas come from? And then maybe that'll help them, you know, inspire them to go read some literature. I think if the kid is going to get inspired to read literature, I think he would already be like reading or whatever and come across something like uh, Lion with the Witch in the Wardrobe, the Narnia stuff, and then be like, wait a minute, did he just, in Coraline, did he reference this book that came, hey, I think that kind of Eureka stuff (laughs) would happen in that way, then inspire a kid to go like, I want to know where each of these elements have come from. (laughs) Yeah, but but I like that. That's the thing. To me, like, that's what makes good children's film again i don't mean this to say that it's just for children but i mean like here's a film that can appeal to children you know and scare them but it like this movie really appeals to everybody and i like that because sometimes you watch a movie you're like uh i didn't feel like it was a dumb kids movie the best kids movie exactly it was very smart i don't like even oh no no you're you're an adult you can watch this because it has a lot of like shoehorned in adult jokes i don't need that just tell me a good story Well, okay, 
Yeah. Adults, without the uh, the shoehorn in adult jokes, the depictions of Coraline's parents in this film, her actual parents, not the other parents, yes. are realistic in, you know, this hustle and bustle world. But we're led to believe that Coraline's mom doesn't have time for her. She's too busy. She can't deal with her. She can't deal with her imagination. She can't, you know, she just doesn't want to be involved in Coraline's life. She's like, she's had it, right? It's a bit of a trope. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a bit of a trope. But then, yeah. then, uh, at the end it comes around and you see that like she actually takes interest in Coraline's life because she buys her those gloves that she wanted yes. you know like yeah, she, nice she understands like she does care it's just that you know priorities sometimes but then like the ultimate priority does come out you know so like it's gratifying for adults to see as well because they, they can understand what that's like yeah no that's an excellent point I think because it's like yeah you know like to a child like Coraline she's like well my parents don't care about me they're like I'm just gonna go check out this other world because there they pay attention to me they make me delicious meals and you know and the reality is yeah and then we find like no like they do have like her parents do have an interest in her but you know it's life sometimes like you know Mm -hmm. not they're redeemed in that way it's like like they truly do care about her love her but they're just yeah sometimes they're busy they're trying trying to make it accommodate her you know they're they really are i mean they have no food in their house they're struggling but they're doing they're doing the writers so of course they Mm -hmm. And he's, it's I like interesting that part, actually, too. The fact um, that it like... is kind of reflective of modern society as it's happening. There's a certain kind of change that's happening where ladies, ladies tend to be uh, major breadwinners these days and their husbands less so due to various reasons. Mm-hmm. And if the husband's a creative, I relate to this, the wife is the breadwinner and the creative is afforded to be more creative because of that uh as opposed to the opposite way around which was the what never mind it's just getting into nuclear 50s american (laughs) way stuff but anyway it's kind of interesting indicative of how things have changed throughout history is my point yes definitely or a line (laughs) it's not going to be a popular song it's never going to (laughs) happen Damn you, they might be giants. Damn you, Dale. They are a goofy band, though. They have mm-hmm. some really great songs. They have stuff they've done with Soul Coughing. Um, I don't know if you like them or not, but... No. You don't? <laughs> oh, man. That was quick. Nope. I know who they are. I've, I've heard their stuff. I'm like, eh, it's just not for yeah, me. Yeah, LB likes Soul Coughing. He, man. I'm the guy that like wants to have like Pavement's total discography so on vinyl, so come on. For shame, for shame. But they're all turning. For shame. You like you like Brand Van Three Thousand. No, I don't mind a couple of their songs, but I'm not a big fan. I don't care if they're Canadian or not. Oh, don't you care. don't? No, I don't. Eh? Andrew Jay likes Sloan. I know he likes Sloan. I love Sloan. I don't just like Sloan. I love Sloan. They're one of my favorite bands. But I digress. <laughs> Someone should get Sloan to do a song. Uh, so Coraline is your preferred. And Nightmare Before Christmas is not your preferred. This is not necessarily one is terrible and the worst thing ever. So watch this thing that's perfect and the best ever. But I think this is more about a preference situation. But I think you really spelled out of course, yeah. why Nightmare Before Christmas doesn't quite work for you. I just hope more people will check out, if they haven't, check out Coraline. Because I was kind of like dubious. And then I was, I was like, wow, I don't know why I was so dubious about watching it. Because this is a fantastic film. And more people should see it. Yeah, I think it's very underseen. Yes, definitely. So, LB, yeah. Nightmare Before Christmas, 
Coraline. Mm -hmm. I know Coraline isn't seasonal the Nightmare Before Christmas is, but do you think Coraline's appropriate for the Christmas season? Oh, sure. It's not Christmassy as we've established, but uh, there's there's that Christmas tradition of telling spooky stories by the fire that... What Christmas tradition? Oh, it's an old British thing, mostly. Oh, you gotta be British Yeah, you to gotta be it. British. Or maybe Canadian. Well, you gotta be part of the colonies. So it's, that's where the, the whole Dickens thing came Yeah, kind of. Well, because he, like, elevated Christmas back up into a public consciousness right. where it was just like a, ah, it's Christmas, let's do the day and then, like, get back to it. And he brought the celebration back through the Christmas Carol mm-hmm. story. That, that freaky-ass story. It's all the ghosts. Yeah, like, didn't you, like, if you celebrated Christmas before Dickens wrote that story, you were, like, a arrested some places <laughs> in america even some places would outlaw christmas christmas outlaw that's that's a new hallmark movie starting <laughs> starring the cast of sons of anarchy yeah and it's it's when you know in 10 years or 20 years when uh, hallmark finally gets edgy uh-huh. and shows a side boob <gasps> Christmas side boob. Christmas outlaw. <laughs> Mrs. Claus has a side boob. Oh, what fun it is to ride. No. No. On motorcycles no. Okay, in the okay. Snow. I thought you were going to be edgier than that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, remember it's the most wonderful time of the year? There's that line, scary ghost stories and cherished gold. Oh, yeah. yeah I don't know. Okay. <laughs> you don't know the lyrics of old Christmas songs. Yeah. It's really a thing. So, anyway. So, yes, Coraline. Somewhat appropriate. Nightmare Before Christmas. Totally appropriate for Christmas ghost stories. Uh, obviously. That one yeah. is. Christmas is a really supernatural time of year, anyway. Halloween's supposed to be, like, the, the one time where the, the door between the two worlds, like... The veil. Yeah, where that's, like, lifted and things can pass. But, you know, Christmas is kind of like that, too. Midnight on Christmas Eve, all the animals start to talk. Is that true? It's a, yeah, it's a legend. It's a European... No, I mean, does it really happen? Uh, I don't... I have not heard Booga, and I've been trying to. Well, you just don't stay up late enough. You have to stay up till... Me? You have to stay up till midnight. Me? Not staying up yeah. late enough? Mm. That ain't true. <laughs> but yeah, I, I had a good time talking with Jay, talking about hipster music with Jay. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. the first in, entire portion of this podcast. Full disclosure, the Rocket from the Crypt reference, uh-huh. that wasn't planned at all. When I was editing, I, I found a They Might Be Giants clip where they mentioned Rocket from the Crypt, and I was like, oh, that's a nice callback. <laughs> they Might Be Giants. Thank you. You're so useful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you'd like to follow Jay on Twitter, you can. It's at J-U-L-I-U-S-B-A-R-T-H-E-L-M-E. Bartholome. Bartholome. Is it it French? I don't think I've ever asked him what his name means. I'm sure it's a reference to something, or maybe he just made it up. Something literary. I think it's literary. Jay's really literary, so yeah. Or if you want to follow Grumpire, obviously, (laughs) you've found this podcast, so you probably already know, at Grumpire Online on Instagram or Twitter. Yep. All right, let's go get warm. Happy holidays, everybody.